whole church said. There you go. There you go. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, goodness. I'm going to have to compose myself here for a minute. All right. What a great time to be the church, right? Uh, when you realize truly that it's bigger than you. Uh, and that's what I love about yesterday and things like today, um, where you get to realize that, that God is on the move. And are you, are you with him, you know? Because uh, I think we look around today and it's really easy to, to kind of get in a funk about where things are in the world and, and how, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, every day I probably tell my wife, you know, it's like, wow, I, you know, I, I don't understand the world that we live in today, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that God is still on his throne and he's still calling you and I to be light and life in the world today. And that matters. That matters, right? And so uh, thank you for joining us on this journey. And God is not done, right? He has so much more for us to do. We, uh, we've been talking about this immeasurably more God uh, that Paul talked about. Remember, we started this series off a few weeks ago. Uh, as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, remember his prayer in that, in that prayer that he prays for the church, he's really praying that they would know who God is more, which I love that. If you're struggling to figure out how to pray for somebody, and maybe it's because it seems like they, they already have enough or they have abundantly more, or maybe you're struggling to pray with them because they drive you insane. You may, you may have somebody like that in your life. Uh, if you don't, you are somebody's that, right? I mean, that's just how it is. Uh, so, yeah, some of you are like, oh, no. Um, I just figured it out. Um, and he says, here's my prayer. I want you to know God more fully. I want you to know who he really is. That's what he prays for him. I want you to know who he is. And a part of his prayer for them is that, that they would come to know God as immeasurably more. Not in the sense of, sweet, I get to be a millionaire in this life, or I got to have no problems in this life, or I'm never going to experience struggles in this life, or I'm never going to experience heartache in this life, but that God gives us an abundant life to give out. And that's what yesterday, listen, that's what yesterday was all about. Yesterday was living the abundant life that, that God would give us an opportunity to live into this immeasurably more. And so we talked about uh, this idea of, of kind of where does that shape us? How does that, how does that give us a direction in this life? And we talked about this, this statement of that our biggest prayer, our greatest joy, our most significant mission should be to help others find a transforming relationship with God. That should be the thing that like fuels our fire, right? That's the thing that we get the most excited about, that every day as we wake up, we look for opportunities to share who God is and what he has done uh, through us and with us, and how to help other people find that same thing. And so we asked you, we, 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 uh, we ask you to be committed, to, to be devoted, uh, to taking every Monday, the, the start of the week, at the, at the early morning hour. Some of you, it's not so early, and others of you, you're, you're still a little mad at me. That's okay. At 7 a.m., and we ask you to pray for three things. Remember those three things, that, that God would give you a heart for those who don't know God yet, that God would give you a heart for that, 
that God would give you courage to share your story with them, and that God would open up uh, your eyes to the person he's putting in your path, that you would start every week that way with a prayer uh, and put that on your, on your phone to remind you of because it's so easy to forget. And so we appreciate those of you who continue to do that week in and week out. And we talked about this uh, uh, last week that um, only uh, Barna Research had, had uh, done, done some research lately and they said only 2% of, of Christians actively participate in sharing their faith with somebody else, 2%. And so we said, listen, we really truly believe that God has called us to something bigger than that. That if our, our biggest joy, our greatest mission uh, is, is to let other people experience a transforming relationship with God, then we have to tell other people about God. And that can, be, that can be awkward sometimes. It can be uncomfortable sometimes. It stretches us sometimes. But that's what we're called to do. And we talked about this community, how it's almost uh, the community in which we're, we're located in is almost twice as much um, in the percentage of, of non-Christian, non-religious affiliated um, um, people among us. And so we want to make a difference. We want to make a difference in that, a tangible difference in so we asked this question as we kind of looked at the math and, 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 and figured out numbers. And, and we said, what would it look like for us to help 4,624 people find Jesus? And if you weren't here last week, you're like, well, that's a very specific number. Um, but what we did was we said, all right, if, if 46% of this community doesn't know, what, what number is that? And we, we figured that number out. And then we looked at more research and it said that, that, that there was a percentage of that number that would be open to getting to know him more. And so we want to be praying about that, about how we can share our faith with those people. And last week we talked about this, that to change a community, you have to change people. And the only way to truly change people is through Jesus. Uh, we can give them all kinds of like self-help books, and those are good. We can provide counseling. I was a counselor for a long time, and that's good. I don't want to trash that at all. But truly change people. And listen, you already know this because you've tried to change yourself. You've tried to change your spouse. <laughs> you've tried to change your kids, and you've recognized the same thing that I recognize. It didn't work very well, does it, right? I mean, you've, you've pointed out the flaws. You've reminded them of the things they've committed to, and it just didn't really seem to matter much. And that's because the only way to truly change is through Jesus. That's it. And so if you believe in that, if you believe in that, then here's what I want you to do today. I want you to be open to maybe the biggest challenge that I've given Wellhouse uh, in the last year and a half that I've been here. And I want you to kind of buckle in your seatbelt, right? Uh, and I'm going to let you know ahead of time, it's a big challenge. But I think you and I, I think we're ready for a big challenge, right? Yes. <laughs> Man, y'all got me nervous for a second. You're like, no, <laughs> no, we're not. Bro, did you see what happened yesterday? We still need a nap, man. Come on, bro. Uh, Man, you made me nervous. Woo, let's not do that again. Are you really? Are you really ready to step up? Good, good, church. All right, here's what I want you to do. Open up your Bible to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to look at a, uh, this story that you're probably familiar with. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed 
to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him there because they saw signs that he had performed by healing the sick. So he's kind of this sideshow, right? Sometimes we think that Jesus converted people through the things he was teaching, but actually it was the teaching that made them run away. It was the miracles that drew them in, right? And so sometimes I hear people say things like, you know, I don't want church to be showy. Uh, and I understand what they mean by that. But I want you to know that Jesus, in some ways, was showy, right? That's why people flocked around him. He was safe, but he also did things that impressed them. But when he began to speak, they would all scatter away again, right? And, and so that's what's happening here. They're all gathering around. Then Jesus went up the mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Pass, uh, Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and they saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him. For he knew in his mind what he was already going to do. See, he was waiting to see if Philip had as much faith in him to follow what Jesus would say. This is huge. And Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, not to get their fill, not to be satisfied. But could you imagine, like, have you ever opened up a bag of chips and, like, just had one? And you're like, nope, nope, that's good. No more for me. I don't want to overindulge, right? I mean, that's not how that works. He's like, listen, we're going we're gonna to give people, if we could save up even for six months, we could only give enough for people to be mad at us. This isn't going to work. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? I believe he was presenting this as a joke. I really do. Because if you look out at a crowd of like 5,000 people and you're like, we got three cheeseburgers, man. What do you want to do? I mean, that's what's happening here right? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. And he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Do you catch the immeasurably more? Do you see the offering? It didn't seem like enough. In fact, it was laughable. It was a joke. And God said, listen, it, Jesus said, it, listen, if you believe in me, I can take what you think is laughable and blow your mind and do my work and point back to me. There's actually two immeasurably mores in this verse. I don't know if you caught them. You probably caught one. You may not have caught the other. The first one is feeding such a large... Well, actually, the first one is really just getting everybody to sit down. I don't know if you've ever... 
you get a, a group of church people together larger than 50 and try to get them to sit down, it ain't happening, bro. He's get, he got 5,000 men. There's other people there too. And somehow they get them to sit down and then he feeds them with plenty to spare, immeasurably more. That's the easy one to spot. The harder one to spot is this. He elevates some young child's status. See, it's easy to spot over because we don't have that boy's name. But for the last couple thousand years, who's one of the major players in this story? What's that little boy? And you think to yourself, well, yeah, but I mean... What did he really do? Well, he was willing to give what he had, which seemed laughable at the time, seemed unimportant, seemed to be discarded, seemed, seemed like it really wasn't that much to be impressed with at all. But in the hands of a Savior became immeasurably more And this little boy's story and what he was willing to sacrifice, because we don't have, and then other moms and dads stepped in and said, well, you know, I have a couple, because I'm telling you, there's not, there's no way that that little boy had something and everybody else in the crowd had nothing. No way. He took, because he knew what was going to happen, did you catch it, before it happened, He already knew what he was going to do. He took that little boy and elevated his status. You don't think at some point in time that little kid was running around telling everybody, you're eating my bread and my fish, and so are you. And all of you, I'm sure there was a point where he's like, all y'all are eating my bread and fish. Isn't this great? I just know kids. I know that's how they act. And from that day forward, everybody that that was even remotely around him until the time that he died, they got to hear the story of how God in Jesus's, through Jesus' body, took what little bit he had and used it in a way that was immeasurably more. See, he took a little boy that was nameless, faceless. In that day and age, that little boy had no status. And all of a sudden, he gave him a story that he would live with for a lifetime. See, he elevated immeasurably more this little boy's status. But see, that's the thing. Jesus' earthly ministry always elevated people who didn't have a seat at the table. It always worked that way. Some of you have asked before, those of you who have been around a while um, know this. Uh, you may still remember some who are new. Maybe you don't know this. We, we talk about it in, in Wellhouse 101, but, but the name Wellhouse comes from, from John chapter 4. You remember the story of the, the woman at the well She has no status. In fact, she's showing up because she doesn't want to be around the rest of the community. Yet God meets her in that place. And so Wellhouse was formed. It was was started with this in mind that we would be the kind of people who would meet people who felt like they were not elevated and let them know that God loves them too. That they can be fully known with bumps and scars and bruises 
and still be loved by a God who would be willing to send his son for them. And so, as we've been looking and talking over the last uh, several uh, last year together as a leadership. And, and what does that look like? I know that's a conversation we continue to have at Wellhouse. What does it look like to be a modern day well where, where we help somebody, uh, somebody's status be elevated through Christ? Over and over again as we ask ourselves, how do you change a community? What does it look like to truly change a landscape of a community one thing we've come back to is this idea of the vulnerable. We believe that one of the things that can best change our community is the children in it. Have you ever noticed that children have a way of changing the dynamics of a situation? Come on. You ever been there? There you go. It's all right to talk back. This is, this is good. I know there's been times in my life where we've gone through heavy seasons of grief. Isn't it funny how children change that? And they pull you through those moments. Hard times they somehow smile at and they show you the joy that, that comes out of almost nothing at all because they remember that life is simple and they embrace the small things. So one of the things that at Wellhouse, we want to focus on a deeper focus on is changing the landscape of our community through the children who are being raised in our community and in our church. See over and over and over again in Luke chapter 18 and Matthew chapter 18 uh, and various other places in the gospel, Jesus tells people, listen, <laughs> children matter to me. They're just not an afterthought. They're important. They're vital. And that's why if we really truly want to change the spiritual landscape of our community, the best place to start is with children. See, I think our world knows that. I think our world knows that really well. How many of you, uh, how many of you are on TikTok? Raise your hand. I'm not on TikTok. But I want you to look around at the demographic. It's okay if you raise your I'm not calling you out. It's not like, see, you're on it. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Um, some of us with gray hair in the room, we are not on that. There's a reason. We've just given up. You know, it's like we tried to stay cool for as long as possible. It's like, all right, forget it. I, I already resigned. I'm not cool. But did you know that 32% of the users on TikTok are 10 years old to 19? 32% is the largest percent that uses it. 10 to 19 years old. And did you know that every, well, last year, I should say, not every year because it's growing. Last year, TikTok in ad revenue towards a group, a segment of kids 10 to 19 years old, had a revenue of $9.9 billion. Not million, billion. And I stopped and I thought about this for a minute and I was like, most of those kids don't have jobs. Whatever you're selling them, they can't afford to buy. But you know what they figured out? 
if you want to change the landscape of what's coming up in the future, you reach the younger generation. See, they figured it out. And so you see influencers and click to buy and viral marketing and naming rights and cross merchandising and product placement in all the right places. And it matters to them. 9.9 billions worth matters to them to market to the largest population who's consuming that material. And I'm not standing up here saying, you know, get rid of TikTok. That's not, that's not my argument today. My argument is the world sees our children as invaluable and important. And they know that in order to change the, the, the landscape of our world, our community, they will seek them out. And so my question for you is, will we do the same? My question for you is, will we do the same? See, they're willing to spend billions of dollars. But my fear is, the church that I grew up in, maybe the church that you grew up in, oftentimes treats children as though they are an afterthought, a nuisance, better not seen or heard. And so it should not be any surprise when they abandon the church for the world who so adequately and overabundantly pursues them. Wouldn't you? But we don't want to do that. We see value there and that's why the mission of Wellhouse is to continue to go after those who are the most vulnerable, who need to know and be elevated in, in uh, knowing that Christ loves them. And let them be not eventually a part of the church when they grow up and they act more mature and they get their life right. But that they are the church now. So as we look towards the future of Wellhouse, I want you to hold on to a few things. And this is going to impact you. Are you ready? Come on now. Are you ready? Okay, there you go. One. The upcoming generation isn't going to be valuable. They are valuable. There's a big difference. Notice the value that is placed on this little boy. See, some around were like, can you believe the, the only thing that he has is a couple of fish and a couple of loaves? That's it. It's laughable. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. It's not laughable. It works. He doesn't dismiss what the little boy has as though it's invaluable. He says it's valuable right now for the situation we're in, and he uses it. And so at Wellhouse, as we look toward the future, we don't say, listen, one day, five-year-old, one day, 10-year-old, one day, 15-year-old, you're going to be valuable here, but not today. We say, no, 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 no. You are valuable here now. You're valuable here now. So we will see and utilize their value. It's important. We want to allow space and opportunity for more of our upcoming generation to plug in, to serve, and to have an impact at our church. See, the last thing we want for kids growing up is to say the world values me way more than my church does. The world pursues me way more than my church does. So if you serve in this church in any area, we want you to look for ways. Grab a, a kid, I mean, nicely. Um, 
with their permission, you know. Uh, and you invite them to serve alongside of you. You invite them to see what areas that they value or that they're good at, they're trained in, and you elevate their status by letting them know that they matter here and they're wanted. Do you track with me, church? Number two, the upcoming generation needs us to invest time and training and resources. They need us. Proverbs 22, you're familiar with this verse, right? 22 verse 6, train, off a ch- uh, train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. How many of you have heard that before? And how many of you, that's broken your heart because you felt like I tried to train them up, and they just, they'd not come back. <laughs> and so did I train them up wrong? Did I do it wrong? Is this a promise that never really fulfilled itself? And for some of you, you're hanging on to that. You're like, I'm trying really hard to train them up in in, in Jesus so they don't ever leave. I want you to know this is probably one of the most uh, incorrect uh, interpretations that we have in the Bible. Because this this train up a child in the way they should go, the train up is right. And the way they should go is wrong. It's not right. You can look it up for yourself in Hebrew. What it really says is train up a child upon the mouth of their way or upon the mouth of his or her way. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Well, that's weird. What does that mean? This is what it means. (laughs) Train up a child in whatever way they want to go and they'll spend their whole life going that way. Let me ask you, how's that worked out for you? When you ran recklessly into all the own regrets that you have, you were there for all the bad decisions you made. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is, listen, it's important that you be invested in training up a child, not to say, well, they're going to do what they're going to do. It's not up to me. Eventually, they'll figure it out. Eventually, it'll come around. Eventually, it'll work itself out. The writer of Proverbs said, no, 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 no. If you give a kid over to their own way, man, that's the way they're going to go. So it's important for the upcoming generation to invest time and training and resources One of the ways that we're taking a big step out, and I mean a big step out in faith, is that our lead lead team and our staff uh, wants to put our money where our mouth is. So we've decided that we want to hire a full-time next-gen person to work with our youth, Not, not to do the soul work with them, but that we want to truly invest in our kids, that we feel like it's really important And it's a big leap of faith. We're a small church. But we think that if we offer up uh, to God what we have, that he will bless it. In fact, we believe that he's calling us to this. And this is important. I love this about our our leadership. Because I think it speaks so much to them. I read a quote several years ago, and it said this, real leadership requires the courage to make decisions that will benefit the next generation. And that's exactly right. 
So we're asking you to step in bold um, in a couple of ways. One, financially. It costs more to have another person, but we believe it's worth it. What does that look like financially? I'll give you a number. I'm just going to throw it out. $950 a week more. That's what it looks like. But even more than that, we ask that you would step in physically. And let me speak to those of you who are like, I've done it before, I'm on the fence, or that's not really my gift. If you've taken a step back in any way, virtually or otherwise, I'm asking you to reinvest because it matters. It matters. Our kids know what it looks like to be invested in them, and they know what it looks like when we don't. And one of the best ways to invest, uh, I've heard it said before that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And sometimes you're like, I don't think they're learning anything from the class I've taught. And they may not be, (laughs) other than the fact of that you're willing to invest time in them. And that must mean that you love them. And that right there is huge. So, church, will you, for the upcoming generation, invest time and training and resources to pour into them? Because they are not the future of our church, they are the church. Three, last one, you'll create space for the things that matter most to you. We all do this, right? If somebody says, hey, listen, uh, you know, it's time to, time to do your yearly uh, checkup on the old root canal or whatever it is. And do you have a yearly checkup on a root canal? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're like, nah, I'm good. Someone's like, hey, you want to go to dinner at that new restaurant that you've been eyeballing every, you know, every week since it opened? And you got a busy schedule but you're like, I'll make time. Because you'll create space for the things that matter most to you. And one of the things that we know here, I want you, to, I want you today on your, on your way out, I want you to look at the space that we have for our kids. And I want you to ask yourself, is that the best we can do? Is that the best we can do? See, we believe we can do better. And that might mean that we move on from this space and get a different space until we get a permanent space. And I know what you're thinking, man, that's inconvenient. There's, there's all kinds of, you know, logistical things about that. But I want you to ask yourself, will you create space for the things that matter most to you in your life? See, what matters most to us is that we train up a group of children to follow Christ more closely. Is that matters to us. We want to create a space for our kids to grow and heart and soul, and mind, and strength. You remember in in, uh, Deuteronomy, Old Testament, there's this Shema. It's a prayer that that, uh, this group of people, the, the Hebrews, would come together and they would pray, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And listen, it's hard to do, develop those things when you don't have the space for them. 
So a big part of it is what we're looking at in a new permanent home. We want a place where we can help our youth grow in heart, soul, mind, and strength in relationship to God. We want to teach them skills, but skills that reflect the way that God has made them. We want to help families connect with other Christians and Christian resources to equip them and the next generation to follow God even more faithfully than we do. This is important for us. And we will not back down from this mission because we know it is valuable. We will no longer allow kids to drift off into the background and say one day if they're still around, they'll be the church. We don't want them to wander off and say, you know, when I was young, that was my parents' church. See, it's up to you and I to help them understand what it means for them to be the church. Now to use their bread and their fish, whatever that looks like for them and to plug in. And so here's your challenge. Will you find a way to begin, even today, even today, investing in the lives of the next generation for those through Wellhouse? Will it matter to you? Not a holy guilt, not, not feel, walking away feeling like, man, I've really dropped the ball, but will you take that and will you say, all right, today's different. From today on, it's different. And I have a mission. And if the world is going to pursue my kids, I'm going to pursue them even harder because it matters. Church, would you stand with me? I pray that you're ready for this mission to join me and the leadership and the staff of this church on a mission to change this community. And we may not see it in our lifetime, but we believe that God is immeasurably more. And I'm excited to partner with you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Would you worship with us?